Grand Gap, no jewels. Sadly, so we got the next best thing. We got future jewels. That's right. <laughs> the old jewels, I think. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's Stuart Robson. Uh, it is cloudy in uh, in West London, but. Guys, we still have a tremendous show for you because we will be doing a little bit of a post-mortem on the World Cup. A lot of the stuff that, that we weren't able to get to, Jules and I. You, know, you missed we, things out? Surely not, Gav. Surely Jules not. less than me, but I didn't notice that he put on a bitch. I, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I saw him, but I wasn't sure what it was. And yeah. we were rushing around. That's just the reality of doing things in real time. So we're going to get through that. We'll have quick hits. We'll talk other stuff. We'll talk about what we want from future World Cups. But, Robbo. You you are our go-to mm. on-the-pitch football guy, and I want to start with the final. I shared my thoughts. I thought Lionel Scaloni outcoached mm. uh, Didier Deschamps. And for it's not even until like, oh, until 80 minutes, like, you know, or 70 minutes, he had the upper hand and blah, blah, blah. No, I, I thought he had the upper hand, and then stuff happened yeah. with the penalty and whatever. Uh he won the tactical battle here against the Sean. Well, f- certainly for the first uh, 65, 70 minutes. I mean, they played a, a high-intensity game. Uh, France couldn't get any sort of foothold in midfield. They couldn't get it into their front players with any sort of quality. The defending, I thought, all around the pitch from Argentina was good. They were a threat when they did win the ball back. Uh, Messi found himself those little bits of spaces. Di Maria with that big diagonal over the top of Kunde got at his man. So overall... Scaloni got it absolutely right. But I would say after half-time, he then went to a slightly more defensive mode, trying to slow the game down and trying to almost kill the game off. I'm not sure that was the best tactic. you got to tune in elite. I mean, I think we can maybe mm. discuss should Di Maria have been up. But Di Maria still had a lot of it. I thought he had a lot of energy late into yeah. the game, which I wasn't so expecting. Meanwhile, the other dude, look, we, we talked about this before, right, uh, off-air. Pre-tournament, let's just, bring it, just break it down to mm. individuals, right? If we did a combined 11 yep. of these two teams pre-tournament, I think we both agreed there would be maybe three Argentina players who would make it. Absolutely. You know, I, I kept on looking at Argentina, looking at their 36-game run, whatever it was, winning run. So they must be a great side. So I started looking at their players and I think, well, I, 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 I commentate on him in, in La Liga and he can't get in a Sevilla side and he's not particularly good. And the pool hasn't really done too much for Atletico Madrid. Um, so I was actually disappointed in their personnel. And I would say France from 1 to 11 had a much better side on paper and, than Argentina did. And that's the thing. On paper, in reality, Argentina fully deserving yeah. because... He he had some square pegs and round mm-hmm. holes by necessity. He changed his system so many times. Whereas Deschamps' solution, and, and this really angered me. It angered me more than Jules. I don't know if it angered you, right? 40 minutes in, right? Dembele's having an absolute stinker. Mm-hmm. Giroud's not getting the ball, whatever. Who makes a substitution at 40 minutes and taking off? Uh, yeah. Like, I mean, I, we've seen Jose Mourinho do it and then made headlines many years ago when he did it in the Premier League. But he only did it but, to, he usually only did it to one player and it wasn't quite working. He needs to make a tactical change. I understand that. It's a World Cup final yeah. and this is, this is the, this is your greatest. You can't wait five minutes till halftime. Because if you wait five minutes, you can then get your tactics across to the players much better at halftime than you can by sending on two subs and taking two players off. Yes, Giroud wasn't posing a threat because he couldn't run in behind, so they weren't getting the ball high enough up the field to get crosses into the box, and Dembele was having a nightmare. But wait till half-time and then restructure it and then tell the players, this is how we're going to play for the second half. So, yeah, I think he made a mistake doing that. Um, Obviously, France get back into the game again. Do you think it was... Do you think it was deserved, or do you think they were the benefit? Obviously, Mbappe ends up scoring a hat trick, right? Yes. Yeah. The second person in history after. Uh, Jeff Hurst. Thank you, Sir Jeff Hurst. Sir you. Jeff Hurst. Um, Certainly to me, Sir uh, Jeff Hurst. <laughs> Now, there's two ways to look about it, because we're, we're talking about mm. two penalties and a phenomenal Mbappe goal. Yeah. Both penalties maybe could have been avoided, but also both were forced. So the, 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 the Otamendi one... Um, and the other one, the Nahuatl Molina. If you're not in a... Sorry, no, it was, in, it was Montiel. Yeah, Montiel, uh, with yeah. Handball. If you don't take the shot in that position, if you don't force it, mm. then those penalties don't happen. So it's not really fortunate that they got back into it, right? No, they had more pace in the side. When Turan came on, then Mbappe went up front for a little while, and they you know, put the player on the right-hand side instead of Dembele. And all of those players played much better in the second half. But 
70 minutes in, 65, 70 minutes in, I'm still watching the game and thinking, there's no way back for France here. You know, Argentina right. are in complete control. The game was just meandering. I thought it would be 2-0, maybe even 3-0, and that'd be the end of it. But I also thought it was a game, we're talking about tactics, it was a game of mentality. Players and the coaches' mentality changed after 60, 65 minutes every five minutes. Whenever, when, when Bappi scores the first goal, you can see the Argentinian players are thinking back to the game against the Netherlands when they were 2-0 up and conceded two late goals. So they didn't come out and play quite so much. Then when France got the equaliser, then they went and defended a little bit more. So there was a lot of changes in mentality. So four years ago when uh, Argentina got knocked out, I had to write that you know Lionel Messi, one of the greatest players in history, mm. would likely not win a World Cup mm. as a protagonist. Obviously, he proved me wrong because he won a World Cup yeah. as a protagonist. Yeah. A lot of people are interested in this greatest of all time debate, and he's won the big one and blah, blah, blah. And that puts some, you know, I mean, he's won it the way Maradona's won it, mm. the way Pele's done it. He's obviously achieved other things as well. Very simple question. I don't like this debate, but... I got it. I'm a contractually obliged to ask you. Is, does this mean that Messi is the greatest player of all time? Uh, no, not necessarily. I would still say that Pele was uh, absolutely outstanding. And I, you know, when when you see clips of him again and you see his record, Pele was right up there. Maradona is in a similar bracket, but I, I would say he still had more influence on the Argentinian national side than Messi. Messi's uh, the third, maybe best player in the world that the world's ever seen. I still go with Maradona, Pele. And then uh, Messi. There you have it. You know who to direct your bile to, just like you directed your bile at me when I said he didn't need to win a World Cup <laughs> to, to, if you think he's the greatest ever. Different eras, different situations. It is apples and aardvarks, as I like to say. Pele was never allowed to, to play in Europe. Maradona played in a different era where he, he had to have he had to play on a team with eight Italians, which is, I would view as an advantage. But in reality, he wouldn't be surrounded by the best players in the world the way, the, the, the way Messi was at club level. It's different situations. Let's just be happy that one of the greatest ever, if possibly the greatest ever, yeah. got his just reward. All right, let's get a little bit more granular here. I hope we've addressed the people who feel the need to decide, oh, the greatest of all time, blah, blah, blah. And then people are obsessed with, with, with ranking people. Um, actually, I want to say one more thing about this. I have no problem with putting Lionel Messi no. on that pedestal um, at the very top. But I also have no problem if you want to put Pelé or if you want to put Maradona mm. on there. Because you know what? The whole thing about greatness is that in some ways it's not really definable. I no. mean, achievement is. Mm. So if you want to bring up Pele's 1,281 goals or whatever it was versus Messi's however many he will have mm. scored by the end of his career and Maradona scored a lot fewer goals, uh, sure, go ahead. And go it also depends who your idols were as a young player. As, as a young player, I looked at Franz Beckenbauer and Johan Cruyff. They were the players that I loved to watch. They, to me, were the greatest players of my time. Because when you were a kid, you only got to see Pelé every four years yeah. on your television, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's so many things are different. I think you can only speak in terms of... You don't really, really mm -hmm. speak in terms of era. Mm -hmm. um, I, again, I, I don't feel this great need to rank. If, if we were all a lot older, uh, we might bring up Alfredo Di Stefano, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. As being greater than Pele, you know? Go even further back. What about Artur Friedenreich, who scored more goals in Brazil than Pele did, right? In the, was it like the 1920s, I think? 1930s? Leonidas? Yeah. Why not? But Meazza, what? Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm, you know, you go, you go through, through the list of, of goal scorers. There's some English guy, and I'm blanking on his name now, who, who this is like in the 1920s. I think he was actually born in South Africa, mm -hmm. um, but like he scored like 30 times and was capped in like five games for mm -hmm. England and scored 10 billion. I mean, I, where do we go with this? Mm -hmm. You know, at some point, I think it should end. We just appreciate great right players. Yeah. Um, I want to get on to the penalty shootout. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a guy named Gear Yordet who is, uh, I think he's a psychologist who studied penalties. I'm going to guess he's Norwegian. He studied penalties. He writes these long threads about body language during penalties. He's, he's it, He'd be most offended if he's, if he's Danish, wouldn't he? Well, now you've called him Norwegian. <laughs> is he Danish? No, I'm not I sure. I'm just saying. If, if I, you said most probably. You know, you know where, his, because his name is Gear, and I watched uh, the classic Lilyhammer. The, yes, the, yeah, the, yeah, the yeah. series, and the guy's name is Gear. Yeah. So I'm assuming, wherever the hell this guy's from, I know, I know he lived in, I know he lived in Holland, but 
he went to go into a very detailed thread about the body language and the little mm-hmm. things that Emmy Martinez did during the shootout to somehow gain the upper hand over Hugo Lloris. Uh, again, I don't. I was never a goalkeeper in a World Cup mm-hmm. final shootout. No. Neither were you, actually. No. Although, you, although I did play in goal twice for Arsenal, right. and, you, and you have participated in shootouts. Yeah. I don't know if it's all kind of after the fact, like. You know, if France had won the shootout, would you say like, oh, Emmy Martinez's antics on that page actually show betrayed his insecurity and it was actually Hugo Lloris who mm. gave off the sense of combat? I, I don't know. I don't know what he would have said, right? Mm. After the fact. But look, the guy's a psychologist. I'm not. But I wanted to ask you about, well, first of all, what, what did you make about kicking the ball away, blah, blah, blah? Well, first like, of all, I I probably, I don't support one one side or the other, but I probably wanted Argentina to win in the, because Emmy Martinez is an Arsenal guy. No. I wanted Argentina because of the passion of the fans and right. because of Lionel Messi. When the penalty shootout started, I switched my allegiances very, very quickly to France because okay. I just didn't like what I was seeing from Martinez. What are you I, doing think it's, I think you? it's particularly it's, yeah, against the not good sportsmanship. I don't like the antics of a, of, a, of a goalkeeper doing that. And when I watch sport... I always ask people, what sort of people do they like? Beyond Borg or John McEnroe? I was a Beyond Borg fan because he didn't show emotion. He played the game because he was a top quality player and he just had a great vision of what he wanted to do. He didn't have to play act. Martinez, all the play acting and all the messing around and trying to put the players off, for me, I hated it. So I wanted France to win. Unfortunately, they didn't. And now lots of kids... Lots of coaches around in young football will be saying, oh, that's the way to put people off at penalties. Go and kick the ball away. Go and say something to them as they're, as they're taking the penalty. And again, for, against, that's against everything I like about sport. So I wanted France to win. I, so my thing is, I don't think this is the reason why no. Argentina won. No, absolutely uh, not. Or why Argentina won the shootout. The reason I say that is... Hugo Lloris has been around the block, mm. right? He's a very experienced goalkeeper. Mm. He has a bazillion caps for mm. France. He's been in shootouts before. He's won shootouts mm. before. If he, if this was critical to winning a shootout, mm. um, surely you would have. Surely he would do it too. Surely everybody would do it, mm. right? It's not like Emmy Martinez invented something that had never no, no. been done. We've seen this done before, mm. right? And maybe there's some people you can get in their heads, maybe, but like it would be standard part and parcel. Right, a little bit like you feel contact, you go down in the box, yeah. which now just about everybody does, right? Because it's it seems part of the game. I don't think this had the impact that, and I'm sorry, Gear. Maybe one day we'll have you on the show and, and we can we can debate it. For me, I can't rationalize why this would have had the impact. Right? See, I, I I can only speak from experience. I'm not about penalty shootouts, but about players in general. When people wanted to try and abuse me, and and you know, I'm talking about the likes of Vinnie Jones. That used to inspire me. I used to laugh at them and think, is, is that the best you can offer? You yeah, know, I, I, abuse. I wouldn't recommend laughing at Vinnie Jones. I wouldn't, but... Yeah, I did. You know, <laughs> is that the best you can offer? The players that I didn't like playing against or the players that I admired were the ones that never showed real emotion. A Brian Robson, for instance, that kept on going up and down the field. And you think, he just keeps going. He's showing no emotion. He doesn't look as though he's getting tired. You kick him and he doesn't get up and want to fight you. He just goes again. Whereas, so they're the, they're the sort of players I admired. And I would admire Loris's attitude towards the penalty shooter. He just wanted to concentrate and focus on what he was doing. Unfortunately, they took better penalties, Argentina. So the thing with Emi Martinez is I think he kind of embraced, and look, I, I love players mm. with, with, with personality who mm. don't conform. I think, though, for me personally, he took things too far mm. afterwards. He seems to fully embrace this mm. WWE heel character. Mm. Um, what he did with the goalkeeping award, yeah. which he was given. Yeah, you're given an award. He'll regret right. that in in ten, fifteen years. Do time, you he's going so? to regret that. I, you know, he's going to look back at it. And think, oh, he my, is, oh my! He goodness. held it in yeah. front of his private parts. This is the biggest moment in my life, and it's the biggest moment that I'll ever have. You know, it's going to be replayed over and over again. And I did that. Why did I do that? He got caught up in the moment. Unless he's, unless he's so this confident. Is after he's won. Like, I don't understand. And, you know, there have been reports that he said it because, you know, he, he was angry with the France players. I'm like, dude, you've won. Yeah. You've won, and you make this gesture, and one day, like... Why was he know, angry with the French players? What were they doing? I, I, I don't know. But, like, the... 
you know, your grandkids are going to be like, Abuelo, what, what are you doing yeah. with that? Like, it looks something like something. The little dance and the shrug. I mean, I, I was embarrassed when the, he did it. The dance I have less of a problem with. It was just more the goalkeeping award. Yeah. You know, I, but, and then you kind of thought the heat of the moment. And then in Argentina, when they had those incredible mm. and sadly, uh, you know, they had to be cut short because yeah. for, for safety reasons, but they, they had those celebrations afterwards. He's walking around with a doll with Mbappe's face on it. Again, I I like the rivalry, mm-hmm. the heel thing. Maradona mm-hmm. used to try to wind up Pele before mm-hmm. they became friends and whatever. But first of all, you do that as equals. Yeah. And dude, you're not Mbappe's equal. Mm-hmm. Sorry. And, but beyond that, what why is this necessary? It's not. It's it's ridiculous. Uh, I don't think it'll do him any favours in the long run. He's he's just won the World Cup, so he can say oh, I can do what I like. I'm I'm a, I'm a great star now. He'll probably in his own mind think he's won the World Cup for Argentina. Argentina he did fans will love that, that that save off of yep. Colomani. Although yep. Jules pointed out that that was as much Colomani screwing it up, not yeah. realizing enough one time he could have taken another shot. Last, yeah, I mean it, it wasn't a particularly good finish. It's a, it's a good save, and again he'll yeah. say he won the World Cup for Argentina, which he played a part in, but. I hope, I hope in years to come, he will look back on that and say, I made some mistakes that day. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Gab. Just go to Indeed.com slash Gab. Gab right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Gab. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Two other things I want to touch upon, and we'll get to the bisht. Um, Newsret. I'm sure you were familiar with him. I'm sure you mm-hmm. you, you you probably follow him on, on Instagram. And oh, of course. You love his yeah. videos. <laughs> A lot of people got bent out of shape by the fact that he was down there on the pitch celebrating with the players, lifting the World Cup, pretending to sprinkle salt on the World Cup. <laughs> I I don't want to over-moralize about this. I don't know if Argentina players invited him on there. Personally, I like to be a little bit traditional. Mm. You want to have your family there, yeah. that's fine. We, we've seen little kids. One of, my, mm. one of the most touching moments for me was... I think it was after the Morocco-Croatia game when yeah. like, everybody had left and, and Buno, Yassin Buno was on the pitch with like mm. his tiny little kid, like, you yeah, know, yeah, like yeah, yeah. a ball around. And this is basically after the stadium had emptied. I love that, right? Nuzret is not in any way related to any of these Argentina players. Mm. I, it struck a wrong chord. It struck yeah. to me as like kind of this sort of ceaseless self-promotion mm. of this guy and look you're a successful businessman what you do works but like this is their moment it's not mm. it's not yours and i don't think some of the argentinian players look particularly pleased with it either you know some of the antics and some were very polite some yeah. kind of black them, yeah. to be fair what, what, what are you doing you know this is this is the players big moment and their families as you were saying you know and again there's a time for that you have the players on the field at the, uh, at the right moment at the beginning of the ceremony and then when everybody else is left then you can get your family on the pitch then you can get maybe friends but really it should just be the players and the family and the coaches so his um his restaurant was basically like a, a block from where I stayed in, in Doha. And again, a lot of celebrities weren't there. Johnny Infantino, the FIFA mm. president, was there at least twice, I think, during the competition. And he's often in videos with him. Were you I, sitting next to him at the time? I was, I, I was not with him uh, oh, okay. at, at that dinner uh, on that particular occasion. But um, I, I think, I don't think Infantino spends a lot of time on social media, but he's just, somebody's explained to him that this guy's famous and obviously likes a steak and he likes posing a little bit with him. I wish he'd kind of expand 
his universe of influencers. You know, you can, you know, maybe next time rather than, you know, Salt Bay, who's, let's face it, kind of very 2018. Yeah. You know, maybe, I don't know, maybe Cobby, maybe there's somebody else yeah, yeah. Uh, who's, uh, who's more famous on the influencer stage. I would hate to think that this guy used his relationship with Infantino, the fact it was some sort of VIP, VVIP box to go down and self-promote. I and mean, I would hope that the FIFA president, whoever does the protocol, uh, says to him, yeah. like, listen to that. You're a friend of FIFA, you're from the president's, that's mm. great. But you can't go on the pitch yeah. for this moment. Uh, I, would, I would really, again, I think internally they need to look at this and say, who do we want actually involved in this iconic Well, moment? you know how hard it is to get into any sort of ground and get onto any pitch, you know, as, it, as part of the journalism. So he must have had all the credentials to get himself right onto the pitch. Which... I, I, I think that's a question FIFA yeah. need to ask internally. And, and like, do, do we honestly want this? Look, he's not... Because he literally has nothing to do with it, right? The, the, the man's not Qatari. No. He's not He's not Arab. The man's Turkish. You know, he's he's known for something else. Like, it really was not the right, the did not strike the right chord. The other thing which got a lot of people upset, um, and I am definitely in two minds about this, was when the emir, you know, was handing out the prize. And that's fine. It's, it's customary mm. to have heads of state mm. and, and whatever from the yeah. host nation. He gives Messi that would look like a robe, which is called a bish, which traditionally in, in, in that part of the Arab world basically is, is, is a sign of respect. It means you are a guest and you are a friend and, and, and mm. whatever, right? Somebody commented, given some of Hugo Lloris's view, whether Hugo Lloris would have gotten one if he'd won. <laughs> I honestly don't, <laughs> uh, you know, as France captain, I honestly don't know the answer to that. Um... It does, to some degree, raise the issue, though, because this is something, leaving aside, you know, the, mm. the gift side of it, you know, it's not like after um, France won the World Cup in 2018, you know, somebody put like a, you know, a traditional Russian Cossack yeah. hat on, or or in 2014, you know, whatever Brazilian accoutrement you wanted yeah, to have. Sure or, that would be, yeah. You know, or in 2026, are you going to give somebody, you know, a cowboy hat or a sombrero? Yeah, I don't yeah. know, like... This is not part of the protocol. It's not part of the ceremony. Now, again, if they went and they spoke to FIFA beforehand Mm -hmm. and they said, hey, the emir would like to do this. It means something to him. And FIFA say, fine. I have no issue with it. It is the FIFA World Cup after all. Yeah. I just think to some degree... It is something that we need to think about. If he did it on his own because he was there and he, you know, yeah, I'm gonna the do, box yeah. and says, "Oh, I'll just put it on because I'm here and nobody can stop me," that would be bad. I, I, I would assume I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt that that's not what happened. That they have a whole protocol for this. They went through it, um, and maybe even they told Messi and Hugo Lloris, presumably beforehand, that hey, if you win, you will be getting this gift. Now, if that's what happened, then FIFA should tell us. I yeah. think. And they should and, let and people and know. Then, then it, and, that, and that would really deflate bit, yeah. the whole thing. They That's said, okay like, then. Yeah. yeah, I think so. like this, this is a new thing that we're doing. Mm. Again, I, I don't believe the emir would just decide, oh, look, haha, I'm here, I can do whatever I want, right? These guys are all leaving in the next 24 hours, you know. But when you say, I, I when you go back to, to the people that were getting on the pitch, you don't, you don't know that if there was any protocol for this, for this uh, I, trophy. That was part of the thing which mm. didn't, which is I didn't sit well with me. But if we want to make this, if we want to make this something... You know, something symbolizing because, and this is the other thing for me, right? I'm going to stray a little bit about my experience in in Doha. This was the, as we said, first World Cup um, in the Arab world, in a a Muslim, in a majority Muslim country. Um, First World Cup in the Gulf. It's a chance for cultures to mix and and mingle Mm. and, and all this stuff, right? Which is part, I think, of the value of the World Cup. And there was a lot of mingling going on, wasn't there, in, in Doha? There wasn't the, because there wasn't too much drink, there wasn't so much fighting going on between fans, and the, we didn't have all those problems. No, so no. that was a much better World Cup in terms of uh, the... From the, that perspective, yeah. 100%. Equally, I don't know how much contact there was. The, the people who were there, I don't know how much of Arab culture and Arab world they got to see. Because ultimately, you're staying in... Yeah. You're staying in fancy hotels for the most part, or containers, neither of which are particularly part of Arab culture. Um, there just aren't many Qataris. We, we, we've yes. spoken about this before, right? Three million people, 300,000 Qataris. Uh, I went out of my way to try to meet Qataris who 
were not working for the Supreme Committee. And I ended up meeting eight of them throughout my 30 days there. Mm. Um, and actually, you know, having significant conversations with them. And I guarantee you that is far more than the vast majority of people went to the World Cup. What they got to experience was, and it's fine, and to some degree, World Cups are held in FIFA land or whatever, mm. but they had to experience shopping malls, most of mm. whom reflect Western architecture or, or, or ultra-modern architecture that could be anywhere. I feel that part of it was to try to bring the culture of of the Gulf in particular. And, but did you get any world. of that? I mean, I went to the Brazil you, you, where, where, where you got it, you got it from, you got it, you did get it from other fans, but you got it from like the Morocco fans, mm, from the Saudi fans who were there. Um, but did I, fans, when I went to Brazil uh, in, in 2014, we traveled 17,000 miles throughout the tournament on, by plane to right. go to different stadiums. I couldn't tell you anything about Brazil in all the time I was there because our security said you couldn't go out the hotel to go for a meal by yourself. We all had to go out as a group and we went to the nearest place. Um, quite often there wasn't any Brazilians in there. It was fans from other from other countries. I never saw um, any houses while I was in Brazil. I only saw the favelas when you were, that were close by the stadiums. We went on planes everywhere. I couldn't tell you anything about what Brazil was like. When I came back, I said, I, I don't really know much about Brazil. And a couple of my relatives had been on, on trips when they were younger. Oh, Brazil's a lovely place. You should have gone there. You should have gone it. I wasn't I was at a World Cup working. So I didn't get any of the yeah. culture of Brazil. Again, I had a different experience, probably because I'm not a celebrity <laughs> ex-footballer like you were. <laughs> and I, I think our company in particular in Brazil wanted to make sure, <laughs> you know, security was their prime concern. <laughs> and maybe you were, <laughs> you know, insulated more than anybody else. Mm. I know for me as a journalist spending, I mean, spent five weeks course, in Brazil yeah. in that World Cup, I think I got to experience much more interaction mm. with Brazil and Brazilian culture, yeah. certainly certainly in South Africa in 2010, Germany 26, mm. uh, even uh, Russia in 2018. And I think that's true of the fans as well. Yeah. Um, and that's why I think to some degree, um, there was a moment in time when there was the possibility, because look, right, brief potted history of this, right? We know how the World Cup got to Qatar in 2010. They had a vote. As it turns out, a uh, majority of the people ended up who voted on this ended up being either indicted mm. or banned for life or whatever, right? So there's a big cloud over Qatar 22 and Russia 2018 was handed out. We've had a Garcia report committed, commissioned by FIFA, which basically found that Everybody was bidding, including England, including the United States, broke a whole bunch of ethics rules. Yeah. Um, everybody, except for the Belgium-Holland bid, I think they were cleared entirely. And the Japan-Korea bid only had minor ones. But, but they know, got kicked out very early on. The report's online, you know. Yeah. And so when kind of the new regime took over in 2016, when Johnny Fatino took over, the war Russia 2018 was two years away. You couldn't move it. There was a moment in time when they looked at Qatar and they said, how are, how are they going to do this when the whole country is essentially one city? And there was a moment when it looked as if, and I think this would have been a fantastic thing for the region, and it would have changed people's perception and flavors of the World Cup. What if we made it a Gulf World Cup? Yeah. So you have four games in Doha. And by the way, you would have had the benefit of not having all these white elephant stadiums, which mm -hmm. now they need to dismantle and send around the world or turn into uh, you know shopping malls or whatever. Um, maybe you have four games in Doha, stadium in Riyadh, stadium in Jeddah, yeah. uh, yeah, yeah. Abu Dhabi, Dubai. Maybe, why not? Why not yeah. Muscat in Oman? Yeah. Maybe Manama in Bahrain. Nice place, maybe Kuwait. You know, but you're talking about building one state-of-the-art mm. stadium, which then can be the national stadium yeah. if it's not already there. Not zillions of them. And you get to experience variety because newsflash, for people who have never been there, uh, we may think of the Gulf as one homogenous region. It's not. They're not all the same. Saudi Arabia, while we think of sheikhs and rich people, and there obviously are a bunch of rich people who do oil, it's not a country where everybody's wealthy like Qatar is, for example, right? You would have experienced Saudi, for example, has a variety, an ethnic variety as well. I met Saudis who, mm -hmm. who are of Nigerian descent and mm -hmm. look West African. I met Saudis who are uh, who are who are of Chinese descent or, or or look Chinese, right? And they're Muslim and they're Saudi and they've been there for many years. You know, a lot of people don't know this about the variety that exists there. Well, right? as I said, I went to, on a holiday to Muscat and I also went to Casablanca. You couldn't get two more different places. Precisely. You know, in, in both and the reality is, again, 
never say never because it is Saudi and there's a lot of money and money runs things. But these countries are never going to get a World Cup again. Yeah. But, you know, there's not going to be a World Cup in Oman. It just won't happen, okay? Like, or, or, or Kuwait or Bahrain, right? So I think that would have been much more beneficial. Now, I think the Qataris were open to it, uh, you know, as long as they got, they were like the main country, rightly so. It didn't happen because for political reasons, there was a blockade involving Saudis and, and UAE, and then ultimately that was lifted, and now they were all friends again. There was a ton of Saudis in, in Doha, and they're all like, they're all getting along, which is great. Yeah. But could we, if we could go back in time, that was, I think, the big missed opportunity. Again, beyond football's control, I think that would have really, if the World Cup isn't just going to be just about football, if it is going to be about legacy, and if it is going to be about bringing people together and having different people from parts of the world experience different kinds of culture, I think that would have been a more meaningful way fully understand to, fully agree, fully to understand, understand yeah. that culture. Yeah. You know, because again, Saudi is a very different place from um from Doha. It's a missed opportunity. Um but in the end, I think we, we football wise I You were I, pleased to be there though. You enjoyed it. I love football. I love the World Cup. So yes, you know, no World Cup is perfect. Uh, there's yeah. parts that you don't like. There's parts that that you do like. Um, in terms of the football on the pitch, I thought this was pretty. This was a pretty special World Cup. Yeah. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launcher online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million dollar stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify is your no excuses business partner. Sell without needing to code or design. Just bring your best ideas and Shopify will help you open up shop. What I love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash gabjewels, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash g-a-b-j-u-l-s now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash gabjewels. Like we said, uh, this World Cup was held essentially in one city in place of, what, 3 million people. The next World Cup in 2026, much larger, encompassing three countries, total mm-hmm. population off the top of my head, close to half a billion, not far off yeah. that. Um, 48 teams, USA, Canada, Mexico. Uh, it's going to be very different. Yeah. Um, and it's going to be bigger. It's going to have 48 Teams. Are you one of those people? Mm, dilution of quality. Me, me, me. Uh, I am. I am. Yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't say quite like that, but yeah. I think the format in this World Cup has been excellent. You know, with the, with the with the groups of four. If you have too many teams, you're going to dilute the quality. There's no question about that. Uh, you will get some obviously some sides that you haven't seen before, which would be good. But I think the World Cup should be about quality, not about quantity. And 48 teams is too many. This was a great World Cup in terms of the format of it, the, the way the teams, all the groups had something on them, uh, the, 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 the quarterfinals, the, the, the last 16. The games were all good, great format. It should have stuck to that. You know, this is the way to go. I disagree. Mm. Um, I, don't, I think the quality ship sailed a long time ago mm. in terms of if you want to see the finest quality football mm. You go look to the best club sides yes. where, you know, they don't have to fit square pegs and round holes. They can train together. That's where the best coaches are. They play together all the time. Things are more refined. My concern with 48 teams would have been blowouts. Would have been, mm-hmm. I don't want to go and see, you know, like we've seen in the Women's World Cup, was it when the U.S. played? Yeah. Whoever they played and they were winning like, you know, 9-0, 11-0. Mm-hmm. I don't think you would see that because... Well, again, that comes down to quality, doesn't it? Because yeah, we're saying the, the lesser teams that are coming in but, could get blown away. But if you were adding Colombia or Nigeria or Norway or Italy or Hungary to this World Cup, mm. I don't think all of a sudden no. we would be getting teams winning 10-0. So I think, you know, the the proportion of teams, one in, was it one in four, one in four and a half out of the FIFA mm. members, is roughly in line with what it's been historically. And also, I think the World Cup is about, it's a celebration of football. Yes. It's a celebration of football to try to get mm-hmm. 
as people involved to try to bring them together to make them feel a part of this. And if you can increase the number of people who, who can feel a part of this, again, you're doing mm-hmm. it proportionally, I think that I think that's a positive thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't look at this for, oh, let me see, the finest practitioners of football. No, because it's Argentina and France in a final, deserve it final, two of the three favorites in the tournament. And frankly, I asked you before, where would Argentina and France finish in the Premier League? We're not sure that they would qualify for the Champions League. Or even, you said even, the, you, you might never name it, they not, might, might not make top six. Yeah. They're Aston Villas. Yeah, because when well, you actually look, when, when I started looking I mean, at the, the early on in the World Cup, I'm looking at all the teams. He doesn't get in their club yeah. side. He doesn't get so, in that club side. And they took, we were talking about some fine. of the best teams. It's something that's different. It's a knockout competition. Crazy things happen. Mm. You coach differently. You take different, you, you have different mm. appetite for risk. You get screwy results. Germany going out two World Cups in a row. All these things put together is what makes it special. Yeah. Just accept that it's mm. different and that it's still exciting and we still mm. enjoy it. And again, I have no issue spreading the love to another 16 teams. I think there's another 16 teams that can definitely hang with us and cause... You just few... want Italy to get in, don't you? That's what it, I, I got to figure you out got, a way to get, get in. How can Italy get into I the say? tournament? Uh, my, my one concern, and people have been losing their rag about this and shouting, oh, FIFA, they're ruining it. Initially, the proposal was, you know, oh, let's have 16 teams of three. Um, I want to reassure people. I think it's highly unlikely that that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. I think we will have 12 teams of four. I think you're going to see the best sort of second place or, or possibly, depending on how they do it, third place finishers yep. go through. It will mean more games. Fortunately, you've got three humongous countries with plenty of stadiums yep. <laughs> yeah. having them. It's going to mean a slightly longer tournament. They have to figure out, they want to fit it into 35 games. This mm-hmm. tournament, I think, was 30 days or 31 days, 30 days, I think. Yeah. So they need to find, but that was also necessary because it was in the middle of the season, right? Past World mm. Cups, I think, have been 32 days. I don't see a big, I, I think 35 days is fine. It yeah, doesn't, yeah. you know, it doesn't hurt my summer. No. Um, so I, I, I think you, this is... Your wife would be pleased that you're going out for 35 days, won't she? Maybe she'll come and visit oh. if it's in a nice place. Um so yeah, I got, I got, I have, I have no issue with this, right? I mean, no. why, why, did, did, does the dilution in quality offend you so no, much? No, not at all. Were you I offended mean, when the Euros moved to sixteen teams? Did uh, it offend you and upset you? No, not the actual tournament itself. I think what I was looking at is the qualifiers and thinking some of the qualifying games. Now teams that aren't playing particularly well can get into the tournament. Yeah, and I think that's something you're going to have to look at whether it's some Nations League type, mm. type, type format and so on. But you know. In the end, the qualifiers are less important than the competition. Of course, they are, yeah. So, you know, I, I, I think there are ways around that. And personally, I think this is a positive step. All right, enough World Cup. How about some quick hits instead? Let's go. Manchester United defeat Burnley 2 0 in something called the League Cup. Robbo, I only caught the highlights because, well, it's the League Cup. Uh, and I'm kind of footballed out. But you watch the whole game. Hmm. Yeah, and Manchester United deserve to win. Uh, I wouldn't say they're their best. Burnley play a totally different style of football these days under Vincent Company. They try and play out from the back. As we know from our visit with Vincent Company, yeah. check out Gavin Jules Meets. Uh, so they look as though they know what they're trying to do, but they didn't do it particularly well yesterday, and they didn't really pose a threat going forward. Benson was their best player. He went off injured in the second half. Rashford was Manchester United's best player, scored a great goal, and overall Manchester United deserved it. And Casemiro at centre-half. Centre-half, yes. Carlo Ancelotti says he doesn't think Cristiano Ronaldo will play next in Saudi Arabia or the MLS, Gab. Does he know something we don't? You know my undying love for Carlo Ancelotti. If Carlo Ancelotti knows something, then you will know it. Uh, I don't know. I can't say. Uh, Cristiano Ronaldo is obviously training with them mm-hmm. in, uh, no, not with them. He's training at Valdebebas. I think mm-hmm. he's training on his own. Um, Come I on, Gab, you know, don't I you? think there's a lot of issues there. Um, in terms, if you're talking about return to Real Madrid, I think more broadly what Ancelotti is saying is he can still cut it mm. in Europe somewhere and he belongs in the chair. Look, Piers Morgan has said the same thing. These are people who know Cristiano mm. Ronaldo. Which is why I'm not buying the Al Nasser Saudi Arabia story. If that's what happens, that's what happens, and we'll prove wrong. But like I said, like I think these are two big hints 
that he'll be somewhere. So you putting Carlo Europe. Ancelotti and Piers Morgan in the same sort of coaching I never category? Thought, I never thought I'd be doing that. Pep Guardiola says his career as Manchester City boss won't be complete until he wins the Champions League. Does that make sense to you, Robbo? Absolutely. You know, I mean, he's, he's been brilliant for Manchester City, but in his own mind... He wants them to be kings We've never of actually heard him say this, have we? No, this is the first but, time he's actually... This yeah. is a big step, if you're saying yeah, this, right? Because you might be there in perpetuity. He's still been a magnificent man. He's still been... No, of course. But I suppose in his mind, he thinks, I want to go and win. It's a statement. Yeah, it's a, it's a big statement. That's what Man City probably brought me in to do, improve the right. quality of football and win the Champions League at some point. Now, Karim Benzema announced his retirement from the French national team. Gab, this leaves a bad taste uh, with Deschamps, doesn't it? He was Jules with you. He was more of the ins and outs mm. on this. I mean, I'm just secondhand, but uh, he was pretty terse in his statement. Mm. Um, Deschamps kind of, remember, he threw like hissy fits when people asked mm. him, like, could he come back and play in the final? And he's like, I'm not talking about this. You know, like, it's like, dude, chill out. Like, it's mm. a legitimate question, right? Yeah, yeah. You left him. He was never taken off the, 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 the squad list, so it was a possibility. Maybe it wasn't a possibility. Who knows? Obviously, there's historical bad mm. blood uh, between them. It's understandable that, you know, in his time that he's 35, he doesn't want to play for France anymore and leave space for others. That's understandable, too. But you certainly get the sense that this did not end well between the mm. two of them again um, after their, their rapprochement. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a shame. Chelsea have officially appointed Christopher Vivelle as technical director. Robbo, what does a technical director do? In my view, a technical director should be somebody that coaches the coaches at the club, rather than not the first team coach, but everybody below the first team coaches. He coaches them what the philosophy is that they want from the but club. But he doesn't coach Graham Potter. He, doesn't, he can't coach the main manager or the main coach. That's, that's a separate entity. But he does everything. Below the first team. So he, he takes control of what's going on in the under-23s. He takes control of the coaching that goes on in the youth teams. He takes he can get, go as far as the academy. But that's his role, to develop a style of football and develop the coaches to coach that style of football. I think he's basically a sporting director recruitment guy. Yeah. yeah it's my view, yeah. but what do I know? Now, Lionel Messi will reportedly extend his stay at PSG for another season. Is that the right decision for him? You say there's a verbal agreement. Um, mm-hmm. Although, again, I wonder about this. The story comes out like, oh, they've reached a verbal agreement. Really? Like, Messi's had time to go and talk to Paris Saint-Germain when presumably he's yeah. been partying <laughs> and enjoying the, the World Cup you know, post-Argentina. I, I don't necessarily buy that. No. Um, it does make sense. I don't see why he should rush into a decision. Uh, the Inter-Miami scenario has been mm-hmm. pretty summarily knocked back, for now anyway. So you know, if he wants to stick around another year, I think he can certainly compete. Yeah, absolutely. An independent study acknowledged by the Premier League, possibly being endorsed by the Premier League, and undoubtedly by our own Dale Johnson, reveals that in the first half of the season, six of the 48 VAR decisions taken were incorrect, mm-hmm. which I guess means that 42 of 48 were correct. Does mm-hmm. it make it worth it, Rubble? Uh, are you talking about things that were overturned by the VAR or, or the decision was made by the VAR in, in, in relation to what the referee did? That's well, the... basically every time a referee yeah. is called for to an on-field review, then effectively... Uh, I, I think know, the, 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 Premier the, the bigger question is how many were changed and they were then... So the referee was proved wrong and they yeah. were changed to a better... Well, but, also I think this includes other ones that the VAR completely missed. Yeah. So well. I... I I would say it's a quite a good ratio, um, but not good enough. You want it, yeah. to, you want it to be as almost as perfect as possible. Wouldn't if it's better, I just want it to be better than fifty-fifty. Yeah, I mean, then that, it's that, that, that is that is better. Forty-two out of forty-eight, correct? That's that's better. Now, Shakhtar Donetsk have taken FIFA to court, and their case is being heard today by the Court of Arbitration for Sport. What's all this about, Gav? So basically, and again, I don't know what the right thing is here. What the answer is? So obviously, the the the, the, the war starts mm. in, in Ukraine. Uh, uh, Russia essentially get get kicked out, um, and there's war. So the league is suspended <laughs> momentarily. Shakhtar Donetsk, as you know, like they yep. train in Poland, and uh, they've somehow kept going. But the players, uh, FIFA said, all right, if you play for these teams, there's no league anymore. Who knows when you're going to get paid? You can become free agents. Yeah, um, that is what a number of Shakhtar Donetsk players and the manager Roberto De Zerbi now break. Yeah, yeah, that's what they did. Now, this was the foreign players. I think every single Ukrainian ended up staying at Shakhtar Donetsk. Some players obviously left Russian mm. clubs um, as well, taking advantage of this. But the thing is, when they leave, there's no compensation, right? So Shakhtar is saying, "Well, wait a minute. 
we spent X million on, you know, this Brazilian dude. Yeah. And then all of a sudden he walks on a free transfer. That's not fair to us. So I think they need to figure out some sort of compensation system. Yeah. Um, they should have probably figured out a compensation system at the time, thinking it's before it happens. Yeah. Like football's so financialized these days that, you know, the reality of it is that you got to take these things into account. The Premier League have asked if uh, have asked IFAB for permission to trial 50-minute con- concussion substitution so that the player can be assessed effectively temporary subs. Good idea, Robbo? I think so. It will it will it give the doctors more time to assess the player. Um, it means the game can continue. You get the player off the field. You can sure. hopefully, if they are have any problems, that they won't be put back on the field. So it'll be a, a they need to substitute. be independent doctors. Yeah, it needs to be independent doctors. That's the problem. Is too many times that the coach or the physio is saying, "Yeah, we'll keep him on the pitch." Yeah. Now, Bayern need to find a replacement for Manuel Neuer after his broken leg, I think, skin, wasn't it? Gab, yeah. what, are, what, is it what are their options? So there's talk of Alexander Nubel, who I thought his loan to Monaco was permanent. I think there are some clauses in which they, they can try to get him back mm. if he wants to come back. Um, they're also talking about Jan Sommer, mm. uh, who's six months away from free agency. Obviously, you know, Nubel, you can bring in and then move out again when Neuer's fit. Sommer is a veteran player, very good yep. goalkeeper. I think they do need to figure to figure something out because they, there's, there's a lot of silverware at stake for them. Liverpool have been linked with Enzo Fernandez. Robbo, they're not the only ones. What do you make of the young Benfica man? I saw him very early on this season playing for Benfica in several of their first games and I thought he was outstanding. He did all the things that you'd want. He could run forward and make uh, create chances. He's a decent passer of the ball. He can win back the ball. He's good tactically. If there's one thing that he probably needs to learn is how to control his emotions because he, he's a booking always likely to happen. So that's the area that he's got he's to change. He's got to be more disciplined. If he can do that, he'll be a top-class player, I would say. In a three? In a three? In a three, yes. But right. not as the base of the three. Not at the base of a three. He's not, I wouldn't say he's a holding midfield. I think he's, he's better. An, he's an inside left. Inside left, yeah. That's where he plays normally for, for Benfica. Now, Germany boss Hansi Flick said there was too much talk of politics around this World Cup, and it was a shame that not many of his countrymen watched the World Cup finals. What do you make on that, Gab? Um, all right, look. The talk of politics around the World Cup, I think, is... Mm. Is inevitable. Um, his FA decided to talk about politics. Mm. I, I think there was a conversation to be had, just as it's a conversation mm. to be had before the Russia mm. World Cup 2018, a conversation to be had before every World Cup. Because well, that's this, the reason that the countrymen didn't watch the tournament. I think more didn't watch the well, tournament. Well, certainly, as you know, I follow our German colleague, Derek Ray, yes. on Twitter, um, who pointed out there was a deep, deep decline in in ratings in 2022 compared to 2018. And it didn't have to do with Germany going out yeah. early because hilariously they went out early in 2018 <laughs> as well. Well, hilariously to some of us who are German. Um, so maybe I, I, I do know people who are like, no, I'm not watching the World Cup because of this and that. Like, right, right. You know, your choice. Um, it's a complex issue. I don't know. Like people have to make their own yeah. their own decisions about it. I, I generally can separate in my mind and yeah. justify to myself also to do this for a living, the fact that other players have nothing to do with it. No. And the fans who watch the World Cup have nothing have nothing to do with it. And I think it's right to bring up social issues mm. in context and, and, and political issues. I think you need to educate yourself about them and figure yeah. out you know what actually matters and what what actually will make a difference. And I actually think and I've written this the One Love Nations asking for very specific things because they'd done their homework was a positive because they were asking for things that were realistic yeah. and could be delivered and which to a degree have been delivered. So I think that's how you do it if you want social change. If you just want to sit there and scream and shout about no beer and this and that without understanding anything about it or the other side saying, yeah. you know, accusing people of racism and Orientalism and blah, blah, blah. That's not helpful, right? Um, and I think... And it's one of the untold stories here. I actually do think that the 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 Qatari government and FIFPRO and some of these other parties and the labor unions have come together and they said, all right, what common ground do we have? Where can we meet? How can we affect lasting change that we're all comfortable with? And and I do think, I mean, again, knock on wood, time mm-hmm. will tell, but it does look as if they have made strides in that direction. That's how you affect change. You don't do mm-hmm. it by getting sort of indignant in, in a corner without knowing what you're talking about personally 
Isco has terminated his contract with Sevilla after just six months and is a free agent. Robbo, are you a fan? Because yeah. I am. And he's a really talented player. And I want to see really talented players play football. Four years ago, when it was him or Gareth Bale getting into the Real Madrid side when they were going through the Champions League, I was an Isco fan. He was excellent. He was Because well, you like him more than Gareth Bale. Yeah, and he played in that sort of... He played on the right-hand side, but kept on tucking in field. Yeah. He create, made lots of good... Uh, he, he was good tactically. He was good on the ball. He was creative. But over the last three or four years, when I've watched him play, he lacks fitness now. He lacks that pace to get away from people. He looks like a player, an indulgent player. So he's not the same player he was maybe three or four years ago. And... I'm not surprised that he's gone away from Sevilla because he wasn't. Re- it wasn't really happening for him. So, but if he's fit, you'd want him on your team, right? But he's got to get fit. It's not always easy to get a player fit. If he does, if he's lost the enthusiasm, he's lost that hunger. It's sometimes hard to get a player fit. You can't just be talented. Now, Mexico keeper Memo Ochoa is a free agent and is reportedly on his way from America to Salernitana. Gabby, your thoughts on that, Salernitana? So. I'm pleased. First of all, some respect for Salernitana. They're in mid-table in Serie yeah, A, as you yeah. know. Um, I'm pleased if Ochoa comes to Europe. I, I think it's one of those kind mm-hmm. of moves. Salernitana did this. They, they, they occasionally, you know, they bring in. They have Frank mm-hmm. Ribery there. You know, mm-hmm. they'll bring in guys for effect or older players. Uh, if Ochoa wants to have a go, another go, mm-hmm. go in Serie A, um, by all means. I don't think Salernitana had a major goalkeeping problem. Um, Lucas Sepe had done a a decent job. Mm -hmm. And again, I was in Doha. If Lucas Sepe got injured in the last week, and I don't know, Salernitana fans, please don't have a go at me. Um, But, yeah, I I hope he comes over to play Mm -hmm. and and, and we get to see him. I I, I like it when people challenge themselves and challenge yourself in the new league. You know, he's done the business with Mexico. I think this was, what, his fifth World Cup, fourth World Cup, something like that. So, well done to him. Juventus are in a tough spot financially and are reportedly willing to let Adrian Rabio go for 15 million in January. Now, obviously, he has an expiring contract as well, but he's 27. He's been a lot better this year. Mm-hmm. A lot better than we thought he was going to be. And he's both for Juve and for France. I thought he was excellent for France in the World Cup. I thought he had that drive again for Juventus. Likewise, he's a good athlete, he's a good footballer. I think the question mark has always been his character. You know, he's a bit been a bit of a sulker and not quite happy with certain things. Yeah, that's... But in terms of his football, I think he's a he's a top class player, and I think at the moment he's playing at the peak of his. Of his would you sign him at your club? Uh, I would have to look into his character, but in terms of his quality and what he can bring to your team as a midfield player, I would absolutely sign him. Yes, no question about it. Now, Gab, we saw some pretty shocking scenes from Australia in the derby between Melbourne Victory and Melbourne City with fans storming onto the pitch and attacking players and officials. How has this been dealt with? So my understanding is there's obviously, there's a criminal investigation as well because there are people who Mm. are physically assaulted on the pitch. Mm. Um, There's also sporting investigation. Uh, Two guys have already been, received lifetime bans. Um, There's potentially another 15 who'll get lifetime bans. It was, it was shocking because we've seen Scenes like this, and it was kind of underreported because I mm. think it was a Saturday before the World Cup yeah. final or, or, or something like that. So, kind of outside of Australia, didn't really make a splash, but a splash. But we've seen scenes like this before in Europe and in, in South America, but but a long time ago. Um, you know, there was a sense that well, it's the A League, and you know, in Australia they're organised and they're immune to this. And- but it wasn't so long ago that in the Fans in England were just running on the pitch only last season for the Nottingham Forest playoff game. When and physically attacking f- people? Physi- physically attacking players and players physically attacking the fans. Playoffs, that's, that's something to do with the championship, right? I, I don't ah, know. so you I don't know. know about yeah, that. I wouldn't know about but that. that. that was, no, but I mean, there's concerns I think, that people were coming on the pitch again. If you see the video of this, mm. it is pretty shocking. I think it's shocking how quickly security responds. I think because they don't, not because they're bad, just, you just don't expect mm. it on this scale. Um, and it got badly out of hand. I think it's a major stain. I think they're going to take a really hard line on mm. this. Um, they have to. They have to. And, and I, I hope that you know the the league and the federation in Australia get get the response, the, the the support that they need legally as well. Ivan Tony has been charged with an additional thirty counts of betting violations to go with his previous two hundred and thirty two breaches. Uh, I suppose the previous ones weren't. Enough? Yeah, they obviously didn't have enough evidence on those other ones. I mean, how many breaches can you have? I mean, it's ridiculous. Yeah, I I don't know if this amounts to every single bet that he 
that, that he placed. Because otherwise, if these are all sort of separate incidents, mm-hmm. then you get the sense that when he's not playing football, all he's doing is betting on football. I I hope they get clarity here, Robbo, mm-hmm. in a way that people that people can understand what happened. And I hope are they, they, are they saying that they're they're bets on his games or games of football in general? I. Well, they can't be bets on his games because if it was, I think you'd ban fruits. And, mm. You know, I think the bets. The, the assumption is the reason you're not allowed to bet on football is that if you're a professional footballer or mm. a coach, you're privy to information, Nation, yeah. right? Um, so I'm guessing it's it's it's, it's stuff like that. I'm, I assume all of this, all this will come out, and you know he gets a fair trial. But equally, I think people have to understand that you Sounds can't good. do this, and there's a reason you yeah. can't do this. And I find it's a shame because I. I, I, I liked him. I liked his stance. He's, he's, a, he's a very good player. He's, but yeah. Not just a good player, but like when he's spoken in the past, yeah. I, I thought he was thoughtful. I thought he was charismatic. And, of course, he's a, he's a very good player. So it's it's definitely an issue for, for, for his club. Zambia forward Barbara Banda will be allowed to compete at the Women's World Cup after being barred from the African Cup of Nations. Kev, what's this story about? So I find this story really interesting. And Jules is obviously follows women's football more, more closely than I do. Um... Barbara Banda competed for Zambia at the Olympics. Um, and then when the Africa Cup of Nations rolled around, um, you take this test, uh, which is essentially it's like a gender yeah. uh, it's, it's like a gender test where if under the rules in football, and there's different rules in different sports, um, they felt that her male testosterone level was was too high. Um it was too high for football standards, but it was not too high for for Olympic standards because it hadn't yeah. actually hadn't actually changed, right? Um, FIFA looking at it, they're 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 rev- reviewing and they're revising um, their, their their standards. This is one of the benchmarks for uh, that, that is used for intersex and transgender mm. um, athletes, and it looks like she will be. Allowed to compete, I think that's a positive thing. I think, I think we need to have very clear rules that people understand. I think it's difficult for people to understand. Wait, why can she play football in the Olympics, mm. but she can't play football in the Africa Cup of Nations? I think you want clear guidelines. Yeah. You want Everybody should fair be guidelines, yeah. and that is such a can of worms of what is fair, um, you know, relative to the sex you might have been assigned at birth or whatever mm. else. That this is so far above my pay grade. There's a, there's yeah. a lot of debates going on, but at a minimum. You can't have this in, to me. You shouldn't have this no. inconsistency where you know football at the Olympics, which by the way is Olympic football, but it's still governed by FIFA, yeah. is treated one way, um, and the okay. Africa Cup of Nations a different way, and then another World Cup. You know, again, let's. I, I think they will take another look at the rules, and hopefully they'll come, we'll come together. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Portugal are still looking for a replacement for Fernando Santos, and Jose Mourinho's name won't go away. Robbo, there's talk of him doing double duty as Roma and Portugal boss. Well, I wouldn't say he's doing a particularly great job at Roma at the moment. Are they any better than when he first took over? I'm not sure about that. Could he do the job with Portugal? I'm not sure he can do that at the moment. I've lost complete faith in Mourinho as a, as a coach and a manager and a, somebody that can get the best out of players. So I certainly wouldn't want him as a coach of Portugal. Look, if he's committed to Portugal, if he wants to go... Yeah. And what you do is you go to Roma and you say, rip up your contract yep. and you go coach Portugal. Mm. If I'm Portugal, like I said this with Jules many times, there's so many talented Portuguese coaches out there mm. do that. But for somebody to needing to do double duty is, is just silly. Mm. And, and, I, and I don't think Roma would allow him to do it. Simple yeah. as. Roma's just going to say, you know what? There's the door. Yeah. You know? And we rip up your contract and see you later. And friends, like before, we understand you're going to go coach Portugal if that's what he wants to do. But I, I don't see why they should let him do no, both jobs. Absolutely not. Finally, Gab, two football legends are spending Christmas in hospital. Our thoughts and prayers go out to Pele and Gianluca Viali. Yeah. And your old friend. Yeah, obviously, I, Gianluca and I go, go way back. Great um, book that you wrote together. Thank or you. did you write it all and he... No, he, no, no, no. We wrote it together. We wrote two books together, actually. Um, I, you know, people get older. People have to deal mm. with, uh, with, with diseases. All I think we can do is we can, we can send love. We can mm. send strength. And if you're blessed with faith, you can send prayer. Um, it, it's, I think it's a reminder in all our cases of, of mortality and the importance mm. of 
spending time and quality and, and sharing love and, and moments with the people you love while you can. Because have you been in constant contact with Yali? I, 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 yeah, I've, I've, I've been, in, I've been in contact with him, and, uh, and yeah, you, you hope on that best. And, and on that note, if we can try to turn this into a positive, like I said, um, try to value mm. the people around you um, while they're around you, while you can. Uh, but obviously, we, we hope both um, have a speedy recovery. Right. Uh, that brings us to an end. Robbo, thanks for filling in for Jules. Pleasure. Um, I'm going to take some time off, so you won't see me for a while. You won't see me until next year, in fact. Uh, but I'll leave you in the capable hands of one Julian Lawrence. Uh, until then, love the game. Love your neighbor. Love yourself.